I want to thank Amy for that kind introduction. And I do remember the day when I first met Amy and Greg, and they were the first two people I met in uh, Liberty. So it's good to be here today at Second Baptist. I also uh, want to extend greetings on behalf of the newly formed, as Amy shared a little bit about, the Center for Faith and Culture at William Jewell College. And uh, thankful for the newly formed partnership with Second Baptist, and you'll be hearing more about some of the things that are going to happen in the fall and spring. And we're even going to have a, a homecoming worship service here uh, with the college choir. So you'll you'll hear more about that coming up in the in the coming months. I also celebrate that your pastor has the opportunity to take a sabbatical. Those are very much needed and appreciated. And I also want to say one other thing that I know that guest preachers are always a bit iffy. Uh, to quote Forrest Gump, they're like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So I'm aware of that. Hopefully I can offer a good word for Jesus this morning. My sermon is going to pull from... Uh, Two of the lectionary texts for today, the church, the lectionary is the church scriptural calendar, and both passages, I think, reveal uh, a couple of truths about life and faith, and Amy read one of them, and we'll talk about that in a second, and, but if you were to boil down the, the, the sermon for today, the, the point of what I think um, we're trying to get at is that uh, it starts with a no it leads to a go, and it ends with a woe. So let's begin with the passage that Amy just read in John's Gospel. I hope you noticed the big number there. The number is 38. 38 years. The man by the pool at Bethesda sat there paralyzed for 38 years. And I want you to imagine how many in those 38 years, how many hopes and dreams had been dashed, had gone unrealized, had died over those 38 years of that man's life as he's sitting there by the pool waiting for a miracle. Now, the legend around the pool at Bethsaida, uh, in U.S. we call it Bethesda, um, was that every now and then an angel would show up and stir the waters of the pool there by the sheep gate and the 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 legend was is that the first person that could get into the pool on the day that an angel showed up and stirred would be healed and so this man this is kind of his last and only hope is to sit there day in and day out and hope that on the day that an angel shows up and stirs the pool that he could get in first but after 38 years, it's, you know, the story shares that everything about this man's life has become small and atrophied. And then almost out of nowhere, Jesus comes by one day. And Jesus says something quite startling to the man, a man who you can imagine is just blended in. He says to this man, he says, do you want to be healed? Seems like an obvious question, but the man, he says, what? In the text, the man, if you read it, is so surprised by the question, he doesn't even answer the question. In fact, he, 
he, he kind of stumbles out something about how he can never quite get in the pool in time. You know, people always are beat him, beating him out into the pool, and so he doesn't get healed. Um, so he doesn't really even answer the question. And Jesus almost kind of nonchalantly just pretty quickly says out of nowhere to this guy who he's probably never met. He says, well, take up your mat, stand up and walk. It's a whoa moment. Everything changes. Now, hold that story for a second. I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to move to the other text in Acts Gospel, Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read a couple verses here, verse 6 and 7. They, now, this is about the Apostle Paul and his missionary journey. And you're going to read all about Acts this summer, so this is kind of a good primer. The book of Acts is about Paul going through the early church, starting the new, the, what the new Jesus movement will look like. So here's verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, listen to this, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. It's an odd phrase. They'd been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Fascinating couple of verses. So the passage here, I want you to notice, starts with a no. Paul wants to go to point A, which point A for him is Asia, but he keeps hitting this roadblock. The book of Acts uses the phrase, the Holy Spirit forbid it. Now I want to tell you what that is. I want to translate that um, I want to maybe a little harsher way. That's Luke. Luke's the author of Acts. That's his nice way of saying that Paul failed. That it didn't work. That the church didn't grow. That the mission that he was on wasn't going as planned. Paul received a no in Asia. Paul failed in Asia. That's Luke's way of saying that. It starts with a no. Just as this man at the pool in Bethesda had 38 years of no. And I'm sure, and this is all something I'm certain of, that Paul and his companions on their missionary journey, they believed with all of their heart that they were supposed to go to Asia. They had probably prayed. In fact, I'm certain they had prayed about it. They had asked that God would let them in, that they would be able to start churches and start missions and do and share the gospel of Jesus. Paul didn't do anything wrong. In fact, he was trying to be faithful to his calling. And anyone who's worked in ministry, who has worked in a church, who has participated in the life of a church, you can all relate to that. Anyone who has lived life on earth can relate to that, right? Sometimes we fail. Sometimes life deals us a no. Sometimes it's a hard no. Sometimes we hit a brick wall. Sometimes we lose. I don't, I don't want to get too sidetracked on this, but this is, this is important. This is, this is gospel truth. There is a popular notion in, I think, right now in our culture, in society, in some of our politics, that believes that the worst possible thing is to lose, to be labeled a loser. I want you to think about Ukraine. Ukraine is dealing with the worst hardship because one man can't lose, can't look weak. But 
If you haven't noticed, if you read the Gospels, if you understand the ministry of Jesus, Jesus specializes in losers. Winners don't need grace. Winners don't need second chances. Winners don't need healings by the pool. Winners or losers don't need opportunities to go somewhere else like Paul. Think about John Newton's great hymn, Amazing Grace. I was once lost. And now I'm found. But you have to get lost first. I was blind, but now I see. Jason, your pastor, has recently done a sermon series on the cross. And one of the things that the cross, the richness of the cross, is that the cross teaches us that you first have to lose. You can't experience Easter resurrection, which we are still in the season of Easter, unless you first die. You can't be resurrected unless you first experience loss. And I, I know who here hasn't at some point in your life experienced something, a path or a job or a relationship that it didn't work out. It didn't open up. The door didn't open in the way you had hoped. I surmise that every person has received a no in life and there's no sugarcoating no's. No's are never pleasant. They stink, in fact. No is that reality that no one escapes in life other than dictators and tyrants. But I want you to listen. I have some excerpts here from John Wesley. John Wesley is the founder of Methodism. Uh, and he started a movement. And I want to read his diary from his beginning. Uh, these are his guest preaching experiences. May 5th, preached at St. John's. And then he wrote, the deacon said, get out. <laughs> May 12th, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. May 19th, so this is three weeks and three Sundays in a row. May 19th, preached at St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called a special meeting and said I could not return. Then I preached on the street corner and got kicked off the street corner. May 26th, fourth Sunday, preached in a meadow. This is the best one, by the way. Chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. Now imagine that. June 2nd, seven days later, preached at the edge of a town in the morning, kicked off the road. That's five Sundays of complete and utter failure. Guest preaching failure. <laughs> Acts might say that the Holy Spirit forbid it. Uh, Richard Rohr, one of my favorite authors, he's a Franciscan monk, and he reminds us that the worst possible thing that God could do for us is always say yes to us. That a human being, and he, then he, he does this whole thing, and think about a child who never experiences a no can only become a monster. And Rohr has this great line in his book, Falling Upward, where he says that every person must fall. We must all lose, just as Jesus had lost on the cross. For when we fall, here's the best part, we realize that we don't really fall down, but that we fall upward to God. 
I love that image. We don't fall down, we fall upward to God. To fall into Jesus Christ is not really to fall down, but it is to fall up into the arms of God. We in the church call that resurrection. So no then leads to go, which is my second point. So I want to go back to the Acts 16, verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision. This is after all the Holy Spirit forbid it. Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. You see, when you get a no, it doesn't mean quit. It doesn't mean give up. It doesn't mean give in. It just means go. After all those no's in Asia, and I can only imagine how frustrating that had to be for Paul. He gets this other vision and says, come over here. So he goes. He goes. You know, one thing in life is that you can only go down the path that God puts in front of you. And getting a no from God doesn't, again, mean we stop trying. It just means we keep going. Because a no in faith is almost always followed by a go. And and I want to say one other thing about that is as we go and as we face difficulties, it is important to know that I believe that God is, I know, I don't believe, I know that God is always with us in that struggle. But even more than that, I believe that God is working on it. God's always working on it in us and through us and around us. Just because we don't experience the yes right away doesn't mean that God's not working. All right, so we get from the no and we get the go, as Paul does. And then we get to the third part, which I would say is the woe. It's the miracle. It's the, I didn't see that coming. The moment that is unexpected, the miracle, the the, the minute the Spirit shows up, the day that after 38 years, Jesus walks by the pool and says to the guy laying there, hey, get up, grab your mat, it's time to live again, walk. Let me read the woe moment of Acts 16, verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river. Side note, before I go any further, he's at the river because he can't go to the synagogue because they won't let him in. So he goes to plan B. This is not even plan A in Macedonia. Where we were supposed, where they were supposed to be a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the, to the women who had gathered there. So he's at a women's prayer meeting. Again, first century, think this through. This is the first century. He's shut out everywhere else. He ends up at a women's prayer meeting. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the, from the city and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. So here's the woe. Now let me explain a little bit. Philippi is this large-ish city in the Roman city. It's culturally significant. It's, it's in Europe. And Paul arrives, and he's down, and he's beaten down, and he's failed. He 
probably fails in the synagogue, ends up at this prayer meeting, and he runs into this woman named Lydia. Now, Lydia is not an ordinary woman. She is a first century businesswoman. She's a dealer in purple cloth. That means she was a businesswoman, and that makes her a unicorn. Women in the first century didn't have property rights. They didn't have business. They weren't business owners, generally. Additionally, the scripture tells us that she was in charge of her household, which is also highly unusual. Perhaps she's a widow. We're not sure. Uh, Lydia was also obviously a, a woman of means, of power, and influence. And the Holy Spirit crosses Paul's path with this most unlikely person, And she hears Paul preach, which in other places they say Paul's a pretty boring preacher, so I don't know what happened, but she was convicted by it. She accepts it, and on the spot, in good Baptist fashion, she was baptized, and she gets her whole family baptized, and then she invites Paul and his companions to stay with her, and I love the phrasing of Luke. She prevailed upon us. She was not going to take no for an answer. And so right here, after all that failing in Asia, with all those no's, the first church on European soil is planted by a wealthy woman named Lydia who says to Paul, I've got an idea. Plant it right here with us. Baptize us. Use our home and our resources. The first church on European soil, and I will tell you that changes the whole course of the Christian mission. Whole course of, of, of Christian history, frankly. Now that's a woe. The first church on European soil. And I'm certain Paul didn't see it coming. So no leads to go, which leads to woe. All right, so how do, I, how do I summarize all of this? I, I want to go back to the, the no's, though, to losing, to, to 38 years for the man by the pool of the, the, all the failings in Asia. Because both passages remind us this truth, that the bigger the wreck, the better the reclamation. That sometimes that we have to be reminded that we have to hold on, we have to hang on, that we can't lose hope. To be reminded that our strength in our faith comes sometimes our greatest strength from our losses. That the cross reminds us that that there's life and new life out of death. The hard truth of life that we just hate is that God's best work is done often in our failure. Richard Rohr might say it best, the way down is the way up. And as this man who sat there at the pool in Bethesda for 38 years teaches us, you really never know. You never know when Jesus is going to show up and tell you to stand up and start your life anew. You never know when Lydia is going to meet you by the river and open her checkbook and her house and help you plan a new church. Grace is like that. And so I have no idea the no's that every person in this room has experienced. I don't know your wounds or your failures or your sins or whatever losing you have faced in your life. Whether they're losses that are still with you from a long time ago or whether they were freshly minted this week. 
I don't know what pool you've been sitting at for 38 years waiting for the angel to stir the waters. But what I do know is that Jesus is able and has the power to right everything that is wrong. So church, I invite you today to know and trust that you are in God's hands, that you are right where you are supposed to be, to trust that your life, with all of the no's and all of the wounds and all of the losses, and all of the successes as well, is being guided by God, the God who loves you and desires you and desires healing and life and new life in your, in, in your, in your being. To trust that every no will lead to an invitation to go. And eventually, eventually, it will lead to your next moment of woe. Close with this. One more passage from John Wesley's diary. After five weeks of utter failure, including the bull turned loose on him, here is what happens on the afternoon of June 2nd, on the very afternoon that he had been kicked out yet again. Quote, I preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came to hear me. Whoa. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for life and new life, but we are also grateful that we don't always succeed, that we fail, that we lose, because we have the opportunity to be reminded that you are greater, greater than all our failure, greater than all our sin, greater than anything else in all of creation. Help us to live in hope. In Jesus' name, amen.